Hello, greetings. Thanks for your interest in spiritual matters. My name is Ethan Longhenry. I work with the Venice Church of Christ. We're disciples making disciples on the west side of Los Angeles. And today we do well to explore an institution which is associated a lot with Christianity, but has suffered terribly in public image and relations recently, and that is the church. I think most people have an understanding that Christians meet in churches. And there are a few people who may still have positive feelings about churches, but a lot of people, unfortunately, associate all churches with the things that they've heard in the media about church structures behaving badly and causing great suffering. And others are still grappling with distressing experiences in and with churches in their past or in the past of their loved ones. And at the same time, a lot of people labor under many apprehensions and distortions about what the church is supposed to be according to the New Testament. Because most people think of a church, they think of a building. That is, after all, the first and primary definition of the English term church. The next thing people associate with a church is a hierarchical religious organization, perhaps embodied in the Roman Catholic Church. In fact, to this day, for some reason, when people talk about the church, that's the one that they're talking about, and many times. And so in a world with so much confusion and pain surrounding the church, we do well to explore what the church is supposed to be according to the scriptures. What is the church? Who comprises the church? And what is the church supposed to be about? And as we've indicated, church in English primarily refers to a building or a religious organization. In the Greek, uh, the word used is ekklesia, which its primary meaning is assembly. And we can see in Acts chapter 19 a range of meaning. Uh, in Acts 19.39, it is the political legislative body of Ephesus. So the town clerk says if there's anything that needs to be addressed, it needs to be done in the regular assembly. And also in Acts 19.32, not many verses earlier, the group of people that this uh, town clerk is talking to is also an ecclesia, but it's a riot uh, that's been gathered in an assembly uh, attempting to somehow suppress the spread of Christianity in Ephesus. And so whereas English church has become limited in its meaning to religious associations, the Greek ecclesia could describe any number of a range of gatherings of people with all sorts of levels of organization. In the Old Testament, the Old Testament was written in Hebrew, but in its Greek translation, which we call the Septuagint, uh, the word ecclesia would be used to describe various congregations in Israel. So in 1 Kings 8.22, the political uh, congregation, uh, the assembling of all the people together when Solomon dedicated the temple, would be involved. And so ecclesia was a natural term for Jesus to use in Matthew 16 and verse 18 uh, when he declared to Simon Peter, I tell you, our Peter, and on this rock I'll build my church, I'll build my ecclesia, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The true congregation of the people of God, the assembly of those following the firstborn. And the important thing about this is that we need to recognize above all things that the church of the New Testament is people. It's no more, and it's no less. If you go out and look at all the uses of Ecclesia in the New Testament, it never once refers to a physical structure or an institution independent of its constituent members. The church is a collective of people, those who are being saved in Christ Jesus, in Ephesians 1, 22 and 23, and many other passages. Now, the English word assembly can refer to a group of people together, but it can't refer to a group of people with a shared identity who's not actually together. And that is the only reason why church remains a valid, legitimate translation of ecclesia, because the third definition of church after building an institution is a group of people with a shared religious identity who sometimes come together. So, the, the church 
may be described in terms of a unitary whole, the singular body of Christ, which comprises all Christians, like Matthew 16, 18, Jesus said he was going to build his church, and it was singular. Uh, same also the idea of the church as a body in 1 Corinthians 12 and Ephesians 4 and things of that nature. But the church is also spoken of in terms of individual local congregations. So the churches of Christ salute you in Romans 16, 16. Paul writes to the church of God, which is in Corinth in 1 Corinthians 1, 1 and 2. And we often speak of local or universal church, the local church, universal church. And these are distinctions that are valid. So local churches are the ones Paul refers to in Romans 16, 16. The singular body is the universal church. But these are later categories that we discern by context, because Jesus and the apostles will both call them the ecclesia. And so the church represents those who are in Christ. And local congregations, thus, are to reflect the Christians comprising the universal body of Christ in that local area at that time. And so church is the people of God in Christ. And we do well to explore how the church is spoken of in Scripture. What's interesting about the way the church is spoken of in Scripture is it's done in metaphorical terms primarily through vehicles. So uh, three primary vehicles are as a body, as a temple, and as a family. So the internal functioning of the church is spoken of in terms of a body. For example, in Romans chapter 12, verse uh, three, for by the grace of God given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. The same illustration is used and expanded upon more in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 12 through 28, and also seen in Ephesians 1, 22 through 23, where Paul explicitly identifies the church as the body of Christ. And so what we see from this is the people are individually members of Christ and thus a part of his body. And as body parts have independent functions but work interdependently and for the benefit of the whole, that's the way it goes with individuals in the church. Uh, also, as body parts have different levels of exposure but all prove necessary for its functioning, so different members of the church will have more public, more obvious roles, and some will have less obvious yet no less important roles. And as a body does better or suffers, as its parts do better or suffer, so it goes with the church. And we may have some experience with what bodily dysfunction looks like and feels like, and that also can happen in the church when things aren't working the way they should. But we also can know what happens when the bodily function looks and feels like the way it's supposed to. And that also can happen in the church, where the different parts are uh, working together to strengthen one another and to work together well. And so we see that as the idea of the church as a body. But it's no ordinary body. Uh, as God who called it is holy, thus it is to be holy in 1 Peter 1.13. And this is why many times the church is also envisioned as a temple, the dwelling place of God. We see that in 1 Corinthians 3.16 and 17. Again in Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 2, uh, verse uh, 19. You are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. 
I also see in 1 Peter 2, 3 through 9. And so we have that same idea in different places that believers are the stone to comprise the structure built on the foundation of the teachings of the apostles and prophets. Uh, Jesus Christ is considered the cornerstone here in Ephesians and on 1 Peter and 1 Corinthians, he's the foundation. And so mixing the metaphors a little bit, but we, we get the idea. And so, the idea is that we are to recognize the presence of God in our midst spiritually, and we need to conduct ourselves accordingly. It's supposed to be a holy convocation. But the members of the church are to reckon one another as members of the household of God, and therefore fellow family members. As we saw there in Ephesians 2.19, that you are now fellow citizens of the saints, members of the household of God, also in 1 Timothy 3 and verse 15. And in this structure, God is our Father, Romans 8.11-15, in Hebrews 2.11-17, and 17, we get the idea of Jesus as our elder brother. And this is why throughout the New Testament, Christians are, are spoken of, uh, Paul will speak to his brethren, some versions, brothers, and other versions, Adelphoi, Acts 9 and 30, and many other places, that's, they're just called the brethren. Uh, they're the, we call them the brothers, the brothers and sisters. And this is rooted in Jesus' own instruction. In Matthew 12, 46-50, Jesus said, Who are my mother, my brothers, and my sisters? Those who do the will of God. And so believers share a precious faith, and therefore are to have a spiritual connection that only can be valued according to the highest valued association that we have, which is the bond of family. It also does well to stress the equality of all Christians before God. Uh, we are one in Jesus Christ, regardless of our background, our heritage, or our class, or any other status. In Galatians 3.28 and Colossians 3.11. And so that brother or sister indicates that we are all on that same level of standing before God. In fact, as we can see in Ephesians 3.10-11, through 11, this is the manifold wisdom of God that's manifest in the church. So we have all these different people from different backgrounds who would have no other reason to associate with one another, but in Christ all other divisions have faded and broken away, uh, allowing them to be one body and one faith in Christ. So there's a lot that we learn about how the church is supposed to be and do in these images. And so it does well to then ask, how is the church supposed to function? And we get a great illustration of this from the book of Ephesians again, beginning in verse 11 of chapter 4. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So we do well to look and we'll see what's going on here. He began this section by looking at roles in the church that he gave, uh, God gave apostles, prophets, and people of that sort. So Jesus uh, is the head of the church in Ephesians 5, 22-33. Everyone looks to him for their direction and guidance. The church was given the apostles to serve as Jesus' witnesses, and they communicated all of his purposes for believers in the church. Uh, we see this. And the fact the church is built on the foundation of them in Ephesians 2.20 uh, speaks to this. The evangelists go about proclaiming the gospel, the word of God, and they encourage believer and unbeliever alike toward reconciliation with God in Christ. In 2 Timothy 4, 2-4, the preaching of the gospel. 
Local churches are to be shepherded by a plurality of qualified men who serve as elders. And they are to oversee the local congregation. They provide spiritual direction and leadership. In 1 Timothy 3, uh, 1 through 8, Titus 1, 5 through 7, and 1 Peter 5, 1 through 4. Those elders will appoint deacons to serve the congregation at their discretion. In Philippians 1, and verse 1, 1 Timothy 3, 9 through 12. And all of them have a singular role to play. They serve to equip the saints for the work of ministry. In Ephesians 4.12, none of them are any more or less important in the kingdom than any other, as we see in 1 Corinthians 12.12-28. 12, 12 uh, that's very important. We all remain equal in Christ. God has given some roles in the congregation uh, to do the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. Now, what happens when saints are equipped for ministry and strengthened in faith? Well, in verses 13 and 14, Paul emphasizes they're going to stand firm for the truth and they're not going to be disturbed by false doctrines. And that's the whole idea of what the church is in the household of God, the pillar and support of the truth in 1 Timothy 3 and verse 15. It's supposed to be the, the ground, the support uh, that, that upholds the truth. And that's why the truth of God in Christ is to be proclaimed within the church. And the proclamation of the gospel is to be supported by the church. And this is how Paul can argue in 1 Corinthians 9 that he had the right and those who uh, labor in the Lord have the right to earn their living by the gospel. Uh, 2 Timothy 4, the exhortation to proclaim the gospel. And in 3 John 1, 5 through 8, John command, uh, encourages guys to take care of Christians who come to him who are going out to proclaim the word that they may have uh, all the provisions that they need. And this is the evangelistic purpose of God in Christ and among his people in the church, that the gospel is to be proclaimed and people are to come to a knowledge of the truth through the work done within the church. So what happens when saints are equipped for ministry beyond that? Well, they also work to build each other up in love. And that's the other core idea in verse 12, 15, and 16. And this is why the church assembles on the first day of the week and maybe at other opportunities to provide the spiritual service which ought to be done for edification. In verse 14, 26, all things I do are to be done for edification. We are to come together to encourage one another in Hebrews 10, 24, and 25. Now the acts of the assembly feature praying, singing, preaching, and teaching at any time. We can do that any time we wish. 1 Corinthians 14, uh, Ephesians 5, 19, 2 Timothy 2, 4, 2 through 4. Uh, but we see that the Lord's Supper and giving are to be done the first day of the week in an assembly. Acts 20 and verse 7, 1 Corinthians 11, 24 through 29, and 16, 1 through 4. But Christians are to do well to find other opportunities by which they can build each other up. And when they encourage each other in Christ, they help to build up the body of Christ. And to the same end, the church can provide benevolence to its own in need as well as Christians in other places, as we see by example in Acts 4, uh, where the church in Jerusalem supported those who were in need. Acts 11, where the church in Antioch sent to the Christians in Judea for their needs. And 1 Timothy 5, where Paul provides direction as to the type of widows churches should be supporting. And so Ephesians 4, 11-16 really is what the church is supposed to be all about. It's about equipping its members for service, to uphold and promote the truth, and to build itself up. Unfortunately, too many have come to expect the church to serve as a clearinghouse for all sorts of greater community services, a role that a lot of churches have been more than willing to take on, but for which there's no precedent in the New Testament. This is not to suggest that community service is bad. No, it's very good work, but it's not as good as the work that God has given to his people in the church. Because the resources available to people of God as a church are designed to be used to provide for one another, to build one another up, and to facilitate the encouragement for others to join them. After all, anybody in the greater community in need could become part of the body of Christ, right? And then they would obtain access to all such things and even greater things. 
And so it may seem paradoxical, but it's all important. The church works to build itself up. As it strengthens itself, others can be attracted to it, providing it greater strength, all of which comes from its Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So this is the church. It's an assembly of the people of God. It is a body, a temple, and a family. It works to equip its members for service. It promotes the gospel. It builds itself up. And so the church is people. And people are weak, sinful, and they have their difficulties. And we absolutely have to admit that there are lots of people in various churches who've done very evil things. Uh, church organizations have covered up evil things, and, and that truly causes us to grieve. And we're very sorry for those all who have suffered uh, from such depredations. But all of us, if we're honest with ourselves, have difficulties. We all prove weak and sinful and have our challenges. So absolutely, people in churches have behaved terribly at times. But on the other hand, we shouldn't forget about the fact that people also in churches have embodied Jesus toward each other and those in need. And it's been a beautiful thing. And many lives have been benefited and blessed because people in the name of Jesus provided for, cared, and loved other people. Now, a lot of people today feel like they can abandon the church. And they can be Christians without the church. But we do well to note that God will not abandon the church. The very end of Scripture, in Revelation chapter 21 and 22, we're given a beautiful picture of life in the resurrection. And in that picture, what we see is the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning or crying or pain any more, for the former things have passed away. It's a beautiful image. But the image shows that God is reconciled to his people, and his people are the bride, the church. Those saved in Christ are the church, the bride of Christ. There's no salvation in any other name. There's no salvation elsewhere. The church is not perfect, for we're not perfect. But the church is cleansed and cared for by its Lord. And that is why we need to work within it patiently and with endurance that we may receive cleansing and glorification ourselves. We see that in Ephesians 5, 22-33. In the church, God's manifold wisdom has been accomplished according to his eternal plan in Christ in Ephesians 3, 10, and 11. It's in the church that people can become one with each other as they have become one with God or are to be one with God as Jesus prayed in John 17, 20-23. And that is why we do well to take our place in the church, the body of Christ, to glorify God in all we do and to obtain eternal life in Christ with our fellow people of God. We certainly hope that you're a part of that. And uh, if you've enjoyed this message, it's been beneficial to you. We encourage you to share it on social media uh, with friends and others. Uh, if you'd like more information, talk, have some questions about some of the things we mentioned, or you'd like to request some prayers. If there's any way we can be of service for you, please uh, uh, find us online at BenishRichardChrist.org or also on social media. If I can be of any service to you, you can find me at my website at DeverboVitae.com. That's www.D-E-V-E-R-B-O-V-I-T-A-E.com. Again, thank you. Have a great day.